So I uh, thank you all for coming. When we uh, when we think about Montana and we think about the life we live, my favorite time of the year, really every time of the year is my favorite time of year. I love I love the coldest winter and the driest, hottest part of the summer. But truthfully, about this time uh, in May till about the middle of June is is probably. Uh, the best time to be in Montana, especially to be outdoors in Montana. So thank you all for delaying your your boat trip or your work in the garden or whatever for a couple of hours to be here and fellowship together. Uh, today we're going to continue on with our discussion of the life of Peter. Peter, one of the, the apostles, the disciples of Christ and apostles and founders of the early church. And the the thing about Peter that really is attractive to us to study is, number one, we know a lot about him, more than uh, probably any of the other disciples with the exception of, of Paul who came later. The other thing about Peter is Peter is very human. Peter, we can identify with Peter a lot. Peter's got his ups and he's got his downs. And Jesus, through all those things, he saw a tremendous uh, heart. He saw faith. He saw talent. In Peter, he saw anointing. He gave anointing to Peter, and then he 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 brought Peter to maturity to be a, a, a leader of his church. But uh, before we get to that, we've got to remember where we left off last week. Where we left off last week, remember I said Peter has his ups and his downs. Well, last week when we left, Peter was at his lowest of all lows. He was in the downs, and because he had just finished. Uh, three years of ministry with Jesus. Jesus was telling them, the disciples, that I'm going to be taken and killed. And Peter said, no way, not going to happen. I will, even if everyone else leaves you, I'll stay with you. And Jesus told him, well, before morning, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, well, of course I won't do that. Well, we know what happened. J.R. taught last week that Peter had a kind of unsuccessful sword fight in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he denied Jesus three times and he ran away. And the Bible says he wept bitterly, but he abandoned Jesus. Jesus went, he was taken by the, by the Jewish authorities and then the Roman uh, leadership. And he was taken and he was actually crucified. And even when he was crucified, G- Peter didn't come back. The Bible says that there was one disciple, John, who came back and was actually came and saw Jesus at the foot of the cross as he was dying. And Jesus told him, take care of your, my mother, Mary, uh, from that day forward. Uh, conveniently, John's the one who tells us that. You know, P- Peter didn't get the, get the biography, I guess. But Peter didn't come back even to, at, the, at the cross. Only John did. So we want to talk about the fact that God wasn't done with Peter. Today, we're going we're to talk about God had a plan. And God had a plan to restore Peter. So this is Peter, the restoration. The restoration of him as a person, as a lover and disciple of Christ, and the restoration of him and all the ministry that he was going to take on. Now, before we're too hard on Peter, let's remember one thing. Number one, like I said, we can identify with Peter, right? We all have our ups and our downs. And... uh, We've all had our times when we were ashamed of, of what we've done. But the other thing to remember is, is it had to happen that way. 
Jesus alone was the one who died on the cross and sacrificed himself for the sins of the world. We do not have a cult of Peter because Peter was the other guy hanging on the cross dying for us. Peter didn't have the ability to do that. He could not, he was not divine. He could not take on our sin and our punishment. He could not, by his own power and through the plan of God, raise himself from the dead. Peter couldn't do that. Peter wasn't divine. So Peter couldn't be the guy on the cross. It had to be Jesus. Jesus understood that. Peter didn't at that point. He eventually did. But we're going to pick up with the beginning of that restoration process. In the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16, uh, I'm starting off with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene are going to the tomb the following, after after a couple days, because they're going to, you know, come tend to to the tomb and bring some... Uh, some different things. And they were alarmed. They entered the tomb. The stone's been rolled away. They entered the tomb and there was a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. This is an angel, by the way. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. And here's why. There's a lot of different, slightly different accounts of this moment. But I brought this one from the book of Mark because of what the angel said. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I think it's interesting that the angel made the point of going, make sure you tell Peter. Or maybe tell his disciples and Peter because maybe Peter doesn't, Peter's wondering whether he's still counted as a disciple because he's the one that that, uh, denied Christ. But he's making a point of saying, make sure you tell Peter. And we pick this up now in the book of John. When now they've gone back and they've told uh, Peter and John that the stone's been rolled away, Jesus isn't there, and we've been told that he's resurrected. So they run to the to the tomb, and this is referring to John. So so John he says that Peter started running, and then John outran him. Right? <clears throat> John's story is just looking better and better for himself, isn't it? So the, throughout the throughout the uh, the book of John, he refers to himself in the third person. He doesn't say, I did this. He says, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. So I always imagine like Peter and John years later when John's working on his first draft. He's like, Peter, take a look at this. And Peter's reading it. He goes, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Oh, John, think that's so sweet. And John's like, actually, that's a, that's me. I, I was afraid. <laughs> what do you mean? But, yeah, I'm sure he loved you too, Peter. But, you know, I wanted to make, remind myself that he loved me. And, and reality is, that's, that's all of us. We could, we could say that about ourselves. Uh, Corey, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Each of you could say that. Colton, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, try it out. It's, it, it feels good. Go ahead. Go ahead if you want. You can take a moment and try it out. Got a quiet crowd here this morning. <laughs> okay, back to the tomb. So John stooped in to look in the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and Peter went into the tomb. Peter's always the guy. Peter's the guy that jumps out of the boat. Peter's the guy that goes in the tomb. Peter's the guy that climbed out of the boat. Uh, when Jesus was, was walking on the water, Peter's 
Peter's, whether it's bold or impulsive or whatever it is, he, he does those things. So Peter saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, which is a separate cloth. It was not lying with the linen cloth, but it was folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and he believed. And this is amazing. Look at this next line. Because as yet they did not understand the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Jesus had told them this several times. And the scriptures in the Old Testament lay this out repeatedly. And yet they still didn't understand. And let's not be too hard on him. We've got, we know the whole story here, don't we? We know beginning to end. And there's so many times we don't understand. Jesus is, is he's working on them. He's working on their faith. He's bringing them the revelation and he's bringing them the restoration that they need. <clears throat> so then Jesus comes and appears repeatedly to the disciples. And I didn't include them all. But in John chapter 20, at one point, uh, everybody but Thomas is, at this, is in this room. They're all together and they're talking about this. And, he, and he, Jesus just appears in the room with them. No doors open, nothing. And he speaks to them. He even eats some food. And he shares with them. He explains to them how he has fulfilled the scripture. There's another time when two disciples are walking along on a road. And this man who, at first he disguises himself so that they don't know who it is. He just somehow makes it so it says their eyes couldn't recognize him. And he walks along with them for a long period of time. And he explains the scriptures to them. And then after after they're away from him, they said, it was burning in our heart. We believe that was Jesus. It was, the whole time, it was burning in my heart. There's another time when he appears to a large group of people, a, a large crowd, and he explains the scripture. So through all this time, after this gut-wrenching event that he was taken by the, by the officials and he was crucified, and then even more astounding event is he is raised from the dead he not only is making a point of not spending, he's not spending constant time with them like he did for three years. He's spending a little bit of time with them and then he's leaving. A little bit of time with them and leaving. And, but in each of those times, it says he's explaining the scriptures to them. As they try to understand, as they see the proof in front of them, but they still need to be uh, assured. They still need to spiritually and mentally understand. In fact, to the point, the, the other time that he appeared... Thomas, the, the, the disciple who hadn't been with them, said, they're telling him, they're all saying, this happened. He says, I don't believe it. Unless I can literally see the wounds in Jesus' hands where he was nailed to the cross and, and, and put my fingers in the, the hole in his side where the spear pierced him, unless I can see that, I don't believe. So Jesus appears to him and he says, come see my wounds, come, come touch my side. Do you believe now? Now, blessed are those who believe without seeing, okay? So Jesus is doing this to not only give them assurance of their faith because they've, they've left their lives. They've left the Jewish law as they had lived it and understood it up to that point. And they have put their trust in this man that he's not just a man, that he is in fact the Messiah. And so he's reassuring them because they've gone through just these, these very confounding traumatic events. But it's not just so he can assure them. It's because he's now preparing them for their mission, for what they need to do. But, as I said, he's not with them constantly reassuring them. Like, we're, we're not, we're not spoon-feeding the child anymore. He is, he is 
with them a little bit, then he departs. With them a little bit, and then he departs. So in all this time, the question is, what are they going to do? They're wondering, what are we going to do with this, right? Now, what's Peter going to do? And where is Peter going to go? There's an interesting exchange that happened with Jesus in John chapter 6. During the ministry, Jesus is teaching some, to a large group of people. He's teaching some very difficult teachings. And a number of people say, I can't handle this. This is too hard for me. And many of them leave. They say, who can handle this? This is too much to bear. Off they go. But this core group of disciples is still sitting there. So Jesus turns to him and he says, are you going to leave also? And these are the words of Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So that's Peter's statement of faith during his time with Jesus. So now, after all these things that have happened, that faith is being tested. And what's Peter going to do? Well, let's remember where Peter came from. Where did he come from? In the book of Matthew, chapter 4, the beginning of the ministry, there's a story of how Jesus went and he called these disciples. He gathered them from various places. Well, Peter and his brother were fishermen. And Jesus was actually walking along the shore and he, Peter and his brother were tending their boat and their nets. Either they had just come in or they were just going out. I can't remember. And Jesus says to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they do. Right then, they just drop their stuff and off they go. And their two buddies, the sons of thunder are nearby. They come too. So he took them from that life they had had, that life they had lived, and he knew in their hearts they were searching for more. He knew in their hearts they were saying, this can't be all there is. We love to fish, but there's more to this world, and we believe there's more that, that we're supposed to do with our lives. And so he says, come with me, and they follow him. But now, now what are they going to do? They go back. They go back to their old life. Now, again, before we're too hard on Peter, let us remember that we do the same thing. We go back many times to what we knew before. So I'm going to read this chapter, this entire chapter. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he re revealed himself in the following way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, remember the two buddies that were with Simon and his brother? And two others of the disciples, they were all together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but they did not catch anything that night. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the, on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus called to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. So right here, we see that temptation in life, a temptation that we all have. I don't understand God right now. I 
am not happy. I'm disappointed. I'm confused. I'm back in my sin. Whatever it is, I'm going back to what I knew before Jesus. I'm going back into that relationship. I'm going back into that sin. I'm going back into that laziness. I'm going back into that addiction. I'm going back into that selfish way of thinking. Whatever it is, wherever we came from, whatever hole God pulled us out of, there's always that little temptation to go back there, especially when God's not playing by our rules. So a couple years ago on Memorial Day, I preached a a sermon about John the Baptist, and I'm not going to go into that in detail, but there's this, this famous line when John the Baptist is in prison, he's about to be killed, he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says, ask him this question, are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? Now, why would John the Baptist be asking that question? He was the man who had been prophesied. He came before Jesus. He prepared the way. He preached repentance. He baptized thousands in the river. He defied the, uh, the falseness of the law, the teachings of the, of the, the religious leaders. He was uh, the man that Jesus said shortly after this, of, of all men born among women, none are from women, none are greater than John the Baptist. He was completely dedicated But at that moment, when he's in the prison cell, he is confused. And so he says to Jesus, through his disciples, are you really the Messiah, his cousin, by the way, or should we look for another? And Jesus says, tell tell him this. The lame walk, the blind can see, the sick are healed, and blessed are you if you're not offended with me. Because Jesus didn't always do things the way they thought he should. And John the Baptist died for it. Later, Peter died for it. But they served him because they understood what Peter said. You alone have the words of eternal life. So at this point, Peter is confused. Peter, maybe he's offended with God. He doesn't know what he's doing. He goes back to where he came from. He goes back to what he knows But he doesn't stay there, does he? Because if I can get my clicker to work, it's going to build up this big moment. I'm ready. Now I can't get the clicker to work. Can you advance to the next? Jesus met them. Jesus found them. Jesus didn't say, no, 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 you come to me. He went and he sought them out. And when he did that, what, did, what happened here? He did not condemn them. He gave them nourishment. Not only did he tell them to put the net on the other side and they had so many fish that they couldn't, they couldn't uh, haul it in, but here's what happens next. This is in verse seven. Then again, this is John speaking of himself. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Think about that. You're confused. You love this man. You believe in him. And yet it's like, well, I don't know where I'm going in life. I don't know my next step forward, so I'm going to go back. And Jesus says, come here. Not only am I going to give you a boatload of fish, but I already have a fire. I already divinely caught some fish. These are like the best fish you'll ever have. Come sit and eat with me. Let me take care of you. Let me reassure you. Let me nourish you. Let me tell you that I love you in a way that means so much to you. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus wants to do with each of us. Whatever, whatever we've done where we've wandered away, Jesus doesn't care. He says, come back. Not only come back, but I'm going to help you come back. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to come meet you in that place. You're that sheep that I'm going to go find you hidden and wounded in the rocks and I'm going to carry you back. And when you come back, I'm going to feed you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to tell you that there's a plan for your life. Jesus did that for Peter. And he wants to do that for every one of us. That restoration is his plan for our life. Here's what's so great about it, is Peter responds. Peter can still get out of the boat. He doesn't even wait. He's like, I don't care about you guys, and I don't care about these fish. He jumps in the water, and he swims to shore. There's that zeal within him, that zeal that we saw throughout his life, when he would, he would, <laughs> he would usually do something and then think, Afterwards, right? We jokingly say in the army, ready, fire, aim, right? That was Peter. But here, his zeal was still there. He got out of that boat. He responded. He recognized it was Jesus. And that was his longing, was to be at one with his Savior. We have to be willing to get out of that boat. Whatever boat we're in, that was not the boat God put us in, we need to be willing to get out of it. We need to be able to respond and we need to be able to do it with, with just imagine how, how Peter was. I'm sure he was excited, probably did a belly flop and then just was grabbing water. That's, that's the response that God's asking for. And then Jesus says, okay, let's spend a little bit of time this morning and let's start talking about my plan for you and what it is. Now, verse 12, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. It's like this awkward moment, right? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them and he gave them fish. This was the third time Jesus was revealed to these disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Here we go. He said, here's my plan for you. Get ready. Number one, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So I wondered, if he, what do you mean by that? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these fish? 
In other words, you love me more than your own selfish desire, right? There's this verse that says, those who have rejected God, their God is their stomach, right? Or is he saying, do you love me more than these fellow disciples? Or is he saying, do you love me more than the approval of other humans? Because that's what happened, right? When he denied Christ, he was surrounded by people. Maybe he's afraid that they're going to kill him too, or, he, or they're just not going to accept him anymore because the whole thing's falling apart. He, he loved something more than Jesus at that moment when he denied Christ. And so Jesus says, do you love me more than all those things? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. Now Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him the third time, do you love him? And, Jesus, and Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He asked him three times, probably because Peter had denied him three times. But each time, his command, his mission is the same. Take care of my sheep. Who are my sheep? We are all his sheep. The flock, the followers of Christ, those who need a, a spiritual leader, those who need to hear the gospel, those who need someone to love and care for them. That's, that's the plan. That's God's plan for Peter and for us. And then, remember way back when they were at the, they were at the dinner and Jesus had said, uh, you're all going to abandon me. And, Jesus, and Peter said, I will never abandon you. And Jesus gave him that prophecy. He says, before the sun rises, you will deny me three times. Now, look at the prophecy that Jesus is going to give him. Jesus, Peter has just said three times, I love you. And here's now what Jesus predicts about his future. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. So, not the most optimistic news, but he said, you're going to serve me and you're going to give everything. You just told me you love me more than all this other stuff. So I'm telling you, you're going to have a chance to serve me to the end. And so he says, follow me. And now I love this moment. I love this moment at the end of John chapter 21. He says to Peter, okay, follow me. And he starts walking and Peter starts walking. And then Peter looks back and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loves. He's like, well, why is that guy following us? (laughs) And Jesus says in verse 22, If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so there was some misinformation that that meant John would live forever until Jesus came back. But what, what Jesus said is, what is it to you if I have a different plan for this guy than for you? You follow me and you follow the plan that I have laid out for you. So I'm coaching baseball right now, a little kids, little league team, and you always have that one kid who thinks he's an assistant coach, right? And so we're over there, da, da, and he's over there. And I'm, I'm like, hey, you just, you just worry about you, okay? You be a player. You worry about you. 
You've got your own stuff to work on. You don't need to tell this guy what to do over here. And sometimes I think that's what Jesus would say. Hey, you follow the plan that I've called you to. Everyone may have a different plan. I'm having these people do this over here. I don't want you getting all worried about it. You're not the assistant Holy Spirit. You just stick to what I've asked you to do and let them follow what I've asked them to do. I mean, that, th- those words of advice, I think, would, would save the church a lot, of, a lot of stress and consternation. And so now we get to the setup for next week for JR. Because Peter has now been restored. But has he been empowered? Jesus, as we all know, is about to leave. He's like, all right, mission accomplished. I'm heading out. And the disciples are going to be like, well, what do we do now? So Jesus tells them, as he's been telling them repeatedly, I have a plan for you. Way back during the ministry. Here's what's amazing about this. Is everything that happens at the end, Jesus has told them repeatedly leading up to it, what's going to happen. And he's prepared them, but they didn't understand. And so this is what happens way back in John chapter 14. He says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. He will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he says just a couple chapters later in John chapter 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Isn't that the truth? But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So look at that first statement. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So if, if I take a uh, $10 bill from JR and I hand him back a one, I have not given him another. I have given him a lesser substitute. If I give him a 10, or if I take a 10 and I say, I'll give you another, he's expecting back another 10. When Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I will ask God, the Father, to send you another helper. He's saying, I, he's going to send you a spirit, an eternal spirit, who can be everywhere, or I can't even as a human, and he will guide you in all truth. He'll even show you things that you cannot hear from me now because you're not ready. I will bring the Holy Spirit to empower you in ministry in ways that I have done physically on earth. And that's what he says now at the end as he's leaving. In Luke chapter 24, he says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city, being Jerusalem, until you're, you're clothed from, with power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 1, he's just about to leave. And he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he said a similar thing at the end of Matthew. So, that's where we're at now. Peter's been restored. Peter is recognizing, yes, God, you have a plan for me, but I really don't know what to do next. Jesus says, it's okay. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. So just be patient and wait because you cannot do this on your own. You cannot do this on your understanding. You cannot do this on your abilities. You cannot do this on the capacity of human love that you have naturally. You need the Holy Spirit. And we're going to learn about that and the transforming power that the Holy Spirit brings to them 
in the coming week. But I would say to you, if you're that person who was off in your own boat, you went back to fishing, you went back to whatever you did before Christ pulled you from those things. And now you're going, okay, God, I want to meet you and I want to, I want to be restored. Then get out of that boat. In your heart, in your spirit, we have people over here praying at the, at the end of service. If you want someone to pray, we will pray with you. If you're stuck in the wrong boat and you recognize Jesus is calling you, and if you're here and you're listening to these words, I'm telling you, Jesus is calling you. Get out of that boat. Come let your Savior feed you. Come let him take care of you. Come let him tell you that he loves you. Be restored. That's why you're here today. If, if that's where you're at, you're in that boat, that's why you're here today. And if you are a place where you've been restored and you have your zeal and you have a desire to serve God and you're going, I don't know what to do, have you received the Holy Spirit? Do you seek to have a walk with God that is fueled by his power and not your own? Because you can't do it on your own. If that's where you're at today, come talk to us. Come pray with us. Let's have that conversation. Because the things, the transforming, the amazing things that you're going to hear about from Peter and the other disciples in the coming weeks, those are not human things. Those are things that came from the redemption of Jesus Christ. And those are things that came from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we are no different. We're no different than those 12 disciples and what turned into many more thousands of years ago. All their sins, we've seen those sins. All their failures, we've seen those failures. But when Jesus left, he told his disciples, greater things that I have done, you will do. And that promise extends to us. That mission, feed the sheep, that applies to us. The promise of power from on high, that applies to us. So we, I would urge you, as we don't just walk away and go, great story. Let those things take place in your heart and in your spirit and respond.